0: This Halloween edition of Market Foolery is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get the free guide Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth at netsuite.com/fool. It's Wednesday, October 31st. Happy Halloween! Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio, the always scary Seth Jason.
1: I thought you might introduce me as David Pumpkins, which was a terrible skit that, for some reason, has really uh, had a lot of legs on uh, Saturday Night Live. It did a whole like animated episode or something.
0: So uh, we'll get to the earnings. Don't worry, it's earnings palooza. week. It's we're Pumpkins going to get to the earnings, but that. I will just say I've never seen that that skit on Saturday Night Live. That's so good. But uh, producer Dan Boyd and I were up uh, in New York City recently. We were at Thirty Rock. Thirty Rockefeller Rockefeller Plaza, and walking around the store where they're selling all of the NBC merchandise, they didn't have a lot of SNL stuff, right, Dan? But they did have some David and Pumpkins. Yeah, they had the original suit that Tom Hanks wore for that skit, which I, I and I've never met Tom Hanks, uh, but judging by his uh, clothing size, he's not a large man. <laughs> Um, do you think it was like like it was the actual suit? It was the one he wore. That's what the label said right. on the thing. I, I mean, so. hey, cool. Sweat right?
1: Actually, cleans that suit. <laughs> Let's go back to the Simpsons.
0: Um, all right, we're going to dip it in the full mailbag. Um, and last week on Motley Fool Money, uh, we were out in Denver, so um, we broadcast some interviews that we had done previously. This week on Motley Fool Money, it's earnings palooza, so no. Interviews this week, no external guests. It's just going to be all earnings all the time. So and no
1: is, pot smoking anymore.
0: Not anymore. Uh, which is my way of saying we're not going to talk about Facebook today, but we will on Motley Fool Money this weekend. Um, let's start with Yum Brands, which um, parent company of KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell. Taco Bell
1: voted number no. one Mexican restaurant in the country according to the Harris Poll recently, beating Why? out the Chipotle. You know what? Lows. Stop me if you've heard
0: this before. When it comes to Yum Brands quarterly results, um, they were good. Well, no, I was going to say these. I mean, third quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. The stop me if you've heard this before part was that KFC and Taco Bell made up for the weakness in Pizza Hut.
1: Pizza Hut, yeah. I, I'm going to. Can I ignore pizza? I saw something. They seem really desperate. They, they're. I don't know where I saw it. I think they were trying to go viral. They put a. a robot in the back of a pickup truck to supposedly make pizzas as if the robot can gather the ingredients and put them in it sounded like a real gimmick but I thought the only thing that could make pizza Hut pizza worse is if you made it in the back of a pickup truck <laughs> was this a television commercial they're promoting I I saw it, I swear it was on I only read like Bloomberg so it must have been in a news feed anyway but yum did did very well I mean you, you, you saw the numbers the comp uh, the comp at KFC and it's all twisted up because you got international growth and everything, but it's still strong. It's strong at KFC, strong at Taco Bell. Taco Bell's comp is better than Chipotle's comp. Chipotle's comp was all on price increases. Taco Bell it makes its comp by lowering prices, right? Or hitting the right, the right value points and having people come in for lunch boxes and trying out new things. I don't know how you got voted the best Mexican restaurant uh, based on what's at Taco Bell, but Taco Bell, after the marathon, how much were you craving salt and grease? If there'd been a Taco Bell at the finish line, I would have been in there. I, you know what?
0: We'll we'll get to the Marine Corps Marathon at the end of the show because I yes, at a certain point later, but no, not right after the finish line. Right after the finish line, I was looking to just uh, go oh, home.
1: The little cardboard box had like melty cheese and, and tortilla chips in it. That I did have. <laughs> I knew it. Um, so the the comps. I mean, you mentioned the
0: international, and that's, you know, that's part of the problem that they're facing with Pizza Hut because half of their locations are outside the United States, and their Pizza Hut is really trying to balance the dine in experience with the delivery. That people crave, and that's not really working outside the United States. That's why they had, you know, say what you want about weak comps in the United States. At least they were positive for Pizza Hut.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm secretly European. I don't get takeout and delivery at all. Like, I can't stand cold food. And so, I mean, pizza is one of the few things I would order takeout because if it's lukewarm, it's not horrible. But, um, you know, a lot of places they just don't think the idea of, of a pizza delivered to you or any food delivered to you and, and not fairly hot is is appetizing but um, I mean, I sometimes I wonder if they should just you know get rid of pizza hot get get rid of that piece and have nothing but good news every quarter
0: well it's a legitimate question because we we've certainly seen other restaurant conglomerates spin off or just outright sell one of their brands to you know, Darden Restaurants sold Red Lobster a few years ago and they were able to focus a bit more on what they had in their portfolio yeah. that worked yeah. I mean pizza There's
1: private but... equity guys out there completely full of themselves they would think oh I can do a better job with pizza hut let them have a try. Well, but do you think it's too? Big? I mean, they've got
0: eleven thousand yeah. locations. Like, probably, it's probably, so big. It
1: probably can't unpack it. But um, you just, when you watch the the rest of the business, you just sort of, you sort of wish you could see the purer version. You know, I mean, this is a this is a, a pretty good company. Good cash flow margins are nice for selling such a low end product. I mean, again, I compared to Chipotle, the earnings the recent Chipotle's margins no good. The comp flat. You know, just. And one of these is selling supposedly higher quality food, the other one is selling the food that people are actually buying.
0: Well, so it's interesting because now Brian Nichol, formerly of Taco Bell, is, actually... is now the head of Chipotle. And here's a fun... and they,
1: moved the, they moved the HQ. To be next to his house out there in California. Yeah. So Chipotle is now headquartered a couple of miles from Taco Bell, I guess.
0: So here's an interesting stat. It'll be, it'll be, I'll be curious to see if Brian Nichol can start to pull some of the promotional levers at Chipotle that they've been pulling at Taco Bell. Yeah. Here's a fun stat this most recent quarter, more than one in four orders at Taco Bell included nacho fries which was their their latest promotion so it's like hey say say what you want about nacho yeah. fries and i haven't
1: tried them yeah they moved, they got people in the door it's part of their dna kind of a surprising surprising menu items and chipotle's got a few things in the uh, in the pipeline they said on their call but they're never going to be kind of gimmicky and what taco bell has going for it is that the the irony is is part of why you might go there you go there despite the fact that it's taco bell right and Chipotle can't really can't really be as playful, you know? And so uh, they have to stick with their food with integrity and nickel, you know, he, he sticks with that message in the call. So I don't think they're ever going to get as jiggy with the uh, menu as Taco Bell would. Uh, and I actually I own a lot of this stock and I still wonder why I hold it. here's a company that's flatter sales, trade trading at 60 sometimes earnings and then you could have Taco Bell doing a better job trading at a much lower multiple.
0: Let's move on to eBay. Third quarter profits came in a little higher than expected. The stock was up pretty nicely after hours yesterday and right when the market opened today and it's still positive but it's only up about 2 to 3% and that I say this as an eBay shareholder. That feels right to me. This was not this was not an
1: amazing quarter. I, I kind of wonder if eBay's growth, can anyone see my finger quotes on the podcast? No, it's no. an audio podcast. It is sort of not so, so there anymore. I, I actually like eBay a lot as a consumer. I get bicycle parts there straight from, straight from the source. It's a much better place to do that than Amazon. Um, and I do a lot of selling of stuff on eBay. Uh, but it seems like they kind of have reached most of the market they're going to get. And you know, the, everyone thought it was going to be bad uh, uh, after the PayPal earnings. Apparently, they said, "Ugh, eBay, not so good for us." And it was better than people expected, but still, you know, not awesome. Um, and so, I think uh, the days of putting eBay into the pile of, uh, of fast growers that are are worth a high multiple may be gone for good.
0: The stock is down more than twenty percent over the past year, and so I I understand why it's up a little bit today. But it just it's it's hard for me to look at this company and figure out where significant growth is going to come from.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, I mean there's going to be pressure with uh, you know goods coming straight from China with the the cheap mail ending uh, from China, which will end soon thanks to. Uh, Presidential action, which actually does make some sense. China is not a not a third world developing economy anymore, and probably doesn't need super cheap postal rates. Um, so you're not going to be able to get like seventy cent yoga pants mailed to you from China for a quarter anymore, and that is going to probably take something away from eBay. I just think that uh, people in general have only like so big a tolerance for you know what some of us think of as flea bay. I mean, when you buy stuff on eBay, I like buying used kids shoes and clothes on there cuz my kids just going to wreck them. I know what I need in certain items, but you don't go there generally for a high quality experience, right? And so maybe the maybe they've reached the limit. Quick shout
0: out to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. This is not Contrary to rampant, scurrilous rumors, this is not some one-size-fits-all software. With industry-specific support for a broad range of business, NetSuite works the way that your business works, and thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business. And now it's available to you. The power of the world's most popular cloud management system is more affordable than you think. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights to overcome the obstacles that are holding you back for free. You can save time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desk or phone. Just get the free guide entitled "Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth," and you can get it simply by going by going to netsuite.com/fool. Our email address is fool.com From Tom Smith in Antioch, California, Tom writes: Just wondering if you had any thoughts on Anheuser-Busch imbevs, Announcement that they're cutting their dividend by 50%. Well, given that yesterday General Electric cut their quarterly dividend by 92%, I suppose <laughs> by comparison it doesn't look uh, quite as bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a certain point in time where you got to quit with the borrowing, and uh, especially when borrowing costs are going up and, and paying it out to people. And uh, unfortunately, the stocks tend to suffer when that happens for a couple of reasons. One is people. Sour on them individually, but the other is that certain funds uh, and indexes, indices, have to automatically boot stocks out, right, when they they pay below a certain level, and so um, that kind of leads to downward pressure. I, I, I when we were talking about the show this morning, I'm sort of surprised this didn't happen earlier. I mean, I remember years ago wondering why everybody was always so excited about Anheuser Busch because all I could, to me, it looked like a company that was just mostly borrowing money and paying dividends. And I remember getting a a long-winded email from somebody who was a lot smarter than I was. At least that's what he told me. <laughs> uh, not not in those words, but that was the implication. Uh, this was just smart finance. Well, I guess he was right for like fourteen years. I was going to say fourteen w- years of right. So. Well, no. I mean, there, there
0: certainly was a good stretch of time when, yeah. as we talked about, there was free money forever. Yeah. The cost of borrowing was incredibly cheap, and so yeah. you had a lot of companies yeah. of you know a lot of large companies.
1: Just sort of running the numbers and saying, why wouldn't we borrow money when it's yeah. this cheap? Especially when we can tout that dividend. Yeah, and I guess the competitive dynamic is also going to be different now, especially in terms of beer, right? I mean, uh, years ago, you didn't have nearly so much competition in the beer market as you do now. Now, there's small size brands, medium brands, and uh, so it's just a different landscape. But in general, I guess. This the thing is, if you're an investor, is if you're a hold of a company that's this is their primary means of kind of financing a dividend or increasing it. Probably someday that's going to stop.
0: Uh, We talked about uh, Under Armour the other day, and uh, it's. Shares of Under Armour up again today, so it's very close to a 52-week high. I'm making some money. Still, still below where it was two, three years ago. Yeah. Uh, when
1: we were talking this morning, you're uh, you were sounding a little bearish. Yeah, I I read that report expecting to see something awesome. What I saw was. Not so great. So people must really have thought they were going to turn in another stinker. But what I saw, it wasn't so yes, great. Yes, I mean, they did. <laughs> yeah, I don't. If I told I told my colleagues, if you had handed me this earnings report the day before and said you can go ahead and trade on this, I would have traded the wrong way, 180 percent, 180 degrees, the wrong way. And um, I mean, uh, the growth is still flat, except for international, right? But even the international growth isn't what it was. Flat sales in the U.S. We're in a different world now with uh, with the big uh, retail chains, right? Not being so big, and some of them not around anymore. And even Under Armour's uh, online sales were flattish, and and their excuse was, well, you know, that's comparing to last year. We had a lot of sales last year. Well, you just told me that nobody's, you're not going to get any growth in your online sales unless you are giving people a discount. That makes me, to me, that says your brand is tired. it's weak. It's a clown brand. And uh, clown brand, bro. We were talking about that earlier. <laughs> and um, I, I wonder. I mean, they've got this uh, marketing strategy to sell certain kinds of stuff at a lower price, but they still want talk about wanting to be a premium brand and we're going to be a full price brand. And I wonder if people really think of Under Armour as a full priced brand. They talk about, uh, you know, their DNA as providing better stuff. And I'm a huge fan of heat gear, by the way. I mean, I wear that stuff, but it's super tight. You know, when I'm running in the heat, it actually is better stuff. But, you know, a lot of the stuff they sell, ceramic infused fabric that you put something on, it's supposed to use your body heat to heal your muscles after a hard workout. Come on. (laughs) I mean, come on. We all know that that is absolute crock. So. And That's kind of the name of the game in all sports uh, performance apparel. A lot of it is, is just salesmanship. I, but when you see Lululemon continuing to sell and grow sales at a really high rate, and we're at a, you know, a huge high in consumer confidence right now, and Under Armour is putting in this kind of a performance, what are they going to do if the economy actually turns south and people stop buying stuff? Well you you touched on something with the marketing that
0: dovetails with something I read yesterday which is in comparing Under Armour to Nike one of the challenges that Under Armour has or something they they and maybe they're working on this but if you think about Nike there really is and it's yes, Nike is a much more established company, so they've had more time to do this. But it is a much more established brand, and there is sort of an ethos to the overall Nike brand. Whereas with Under Armour, it's almost like Under Armour is a collection of sub brands. It's you know if they're if they're going after the running market, it's one thing. If they're going after um, you know basketball, football, whatever. You know, it, it they don't really have sort of a collective brand presence in the way that Nike does.
1: Yeah, it feels a little bit that way, and it's sort of scattered. I mean, their running shoe effort for a while was really uh, flailing, and I guess it does okay now. But you look at what they're selling, and there's you know there's not a lot of there there. They, you know, they've come up with an acronym or a name, Hover, for you know their EVA foam. It's just it's just shoe foam, you know, and. Um, one of the things they did uh, where they were at a disadvantage is, you know, being able to release retro shoes, right? They weren't around and I was when I was I was downloading the call to read it, I thought, Hunter Armour should just go ahead and like make up a fake retro shoe. And then I read the call and I see they did that. <laughs> they made up a fake nineties shoe and sold it as a retro shoe. And of course you sell a small number of them and they sell out and you get a bunch of free viral marketing out of having sold people this New buck and mesh shoe. So, I guess good for them, but they're at a disadvantage when that is the kind of place that Nike and Adidas can see a lot of growth because they just don't really play in that space.
0: How was the Marine Corps marathon for you? Speaking of crummy shoes, what were you
1: of being sick to your stomach? <laughs> it was my retirement marathon. So, uh, uh, the last one I'm going to do, uh, as far as I know. Um, and uh, my training was. I should have been able to run somewhere around a three from my training paces. Three hours. Three hours, yeah. Somebody's thing is making a noise. Stupid technology. And um, I got there and started running, and I thought, that's not going to happen. So I was trying to slow down, and I had a hard time. I was looking at my, not looking at my watch, but keeping a somewhat hot pace. And my knees. that's been bothering me for years, was tight. And so then I, I, by the time I finally settled in and was headed for like a three twelve-ish type time and satisfied with that, then my guts rebelled on me, and I spent eight miles desperately looking for a porta john. <laughs> when you've got the squeezies, you're not running your strongest. <laughs> well, and as as we were. Um,
0: chatting on our Slack channel for runners here at The Motley Fool, it is kind of surprising that the Marine Corps Marathon, which is so well-organized and has gatorade and water every 2 miles. Yeah. Had an 8 mile stretch with no
1: portage. Well, I should to be fair, maybe I missed them, although like I said, I was desperately looking for them and I didn't see that. I did see two Portageons uh, near the Smithsonian. I don't know if they were for the race though and there was a long line of tourists so there was no way I was stopping. Oh, there. they should have let you cut. You had a bib on. I I was going to run into a restaurant in Crystal City. But this is kind of part of the fun of a marathon, right? Like Stuff happens that doesn't go to plan, and you have to get through it. I mean, I still got in in 317 or just under that, which is fine. So, but you had a a huge victory no medical tent this year, no medical
0: tent, which was amazing thanks to the weather, which was about 25 degrees cooler than the last two years. Perfect weather, yeah. It's great weather. weather. So thank you to the Marine Corps Marathon folks for arranging great
1: weather. Yeah, and not even all that much wind. It wasn't too bad. Although you said the bridge was uh, a little windier for you. It felt there's a there's a bridge for those of you who don't know the course, which is everybody. <laughs> It's actually very cool because like mile twenty, you're falling apart, almost everybody's hitting the wall, and then there's this mile and a half of this terrible highway bridge over the river, which is completely desolate and I love challenges like that in a marathon. oh, you're the one I love that kind of thing. It's like here's where you get to there's no glory here, there's nobody cheering. you get to reach down inside and see if you are really tough enough, you know, and uh it just felt easier this year. Uh, Despite the squeezies, nice. But uh, (laughs) Um,
0: yeah, no. The the weather definitely helped. Um, No medical tent for me. Um, I was about fourteen and a half minutes faster than last year, so that was nice. New PR. Um, What was your time? Four forty-six. Four forty-six. So yeah, so you you were cooling your heels for a good ninety minutes by the time I was crossing. I the was finish
1: probably road. in the bathroom at full <laughs> HQ at that point in time. It was great. My wife and daughter were right at the finish line, so I got to go over and give them a smooch. I decided years ago, the first time they came to see me at a marathon, I ran over and gave them a kiss that I would never, ever skip them if I saw them at a race. I would never blow by. If I could get to them, I would always go over and give them a kiss because. Running a marathon is a really selfish thing. You train a lot, your family pays, and the least I could do is that. So, in my 85th race, I managed to also get that done. had never skipped it. I felt like that was good.
0: Nice. So, you've done 85 marathons in your lifetime. So, between the two of us, we've done, let me do the math, 88 marathons. 88 marathons. Uh, Kudos to the two of us. (laughs) To the two of us. That's not even that many. I know so many lunatics who have done hundreds. I guarantee you. Almost everyone listening right now is shaking their head, not at me, at you, because they're like, "That what? 85 marathons? That's a crazy person."
1: I mean, I could still. I'm retiring because I just would rather spend time with my kid. I'm not as fast as I was in 2015. I would run an under three anytime. 250 was my PR, which isn't that great, but it's respectable. And I can't do it anymore. So really, I'm just, I'm. I'm kind of not courageous enough to run slow races. I have more fun when I'm running quickly. So I just rather hang out with my wife and kids. So, but I'll come and cheer for you.
0: Uh, You know, I I don't know if I'm joining you in retirement or not. I'm going to take, I'm going to wait for my legs to stop hurting. And then (laughs) how do they feel?
1: (laughs) I woke up this morning and I didn't remember that I had run a marathon. So I feel like I'm. I'm good. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh no, I totally
0: remember. You still remember now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anytime I'm dealing with stairs, I yeah. absolutely remember that on Sunday I was running a marathon.
1: Yeah, those of you who haven't done it, it's it's not going upstairs; it's going it's downstairs, not. and you you accelerate because your legs are beat, your sh- they're shredded, and you can't push back.
0: So um, it, that gives me a great opportunity to say thank you to the listeners who have emailed me and and hit me up on Twitter um, uh, before and after the race, um, offering support. So thank you very much for that. But you just Reminded me that it was two years ago. I had done my first one, and I remember, um, you know, I go to the medical tent, and then I get home and rest, and and you know, I'm sore, but I'm I'm okay. And I wake up in bed, Monday morning, and um, I'm just lying in bed. I'm looking at my phone, and I have an email from a listener who's in Europe, and he sends me this email saying, "Hey, if you're reading this, you've." Completed your marathon, congratulations! I've done some marathons in my lifetime, and here's a tip: uh, use the handrail. <laughs> no, no, no! He's, he said, "Here's a tip: um, when you go downstairs, walk downstairs backwards. Go down, like go down backwards, and it'll be easier on your legs." And I just sort of made a face when I was looking. I was like, What, what is he talking about?" Maybe in
1: that hemisphere it work. Well, I just thought, "Well,
0: I'm not having any trouble with stairs." And then I got out of bed, and Every muscle in my legs was screaming at me. And in fact, the next two to three days, I was going downstairs backwards, much to the delight of my children who were laughing at me.
1: Yeah, It is called delayed onset muscle soreness, or DOMS, for a reason. After the race, it's not so bad. The next day, well, my legs didn't hurt that much this time around. I, I was actually a little disappointed. I kind of like that really sore legs after <sighs> you know a what? marathon because then you know you did some what work. an obnoxious thing to say. <laughs> I'm I'm so upset that I wasn't in more pain. That's but that's kind of why you do those. <sighs> that's why you do them. That's not why I do them. Long time ago, I quit taking ibuprofen or anything uh, after a race to try and cut it. I said to my, I, one day, I just said to myself, like, you paid good money for those sore legs, so enjoy it. <laughs> And it's weird, you just turn a switch in your head. Turn that switch!
0: I'll see if I can do that. Seth Jason, thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market MarketFoolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening! We'll see you tomorrow!